Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. So we'll be hearing God's Word this morning from Genesis chapter 41, um, starting at uh, Genesis chapter 41, verse 46. Uh, so it's the end of Genesis chapter 41 through the end of 42. Um, and as you listen to this story, I think for many of you this morning, uh, the story of Joseph and his brothers is probably going to be a familiar story. This is one of those stories that is fairly well known in the Bible. Um, but interestingly, it takes a lot more space to tell in the actual Bible than it does in your average children's Bible. Because this story that's usually like one story in your children's Bible of the story of Joseph and his brothers takes like 10 chapters in Genesis. And so you, you think about that, you're like, well, what? maybe we should shorten it, but then you also got to think there's probably a reason that God put it in his word in this way. So as I read the story, I want you to think not only about the story, uh, listening to the story and following the details of the story, but ask yourself, why? Why is this story written for, for the people that it was first written to? Why is this story written for us? Why did God have this story put in his word in this way? For the context, if you don't know the story, uh, last week we saw that Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob, the, the 11th son of Jacob, but also the favorite son, whose brothers had kidnapped him and sold him away down to Egypt, where he did very, very well. First, uh, showing uh, in, in his master's house in Egypt. Then he was thrown in jail unjustly, and he did a great, he took care of people in jail. He was able to interpret dreams, and because of that, uh, Pharaoh put him in charge of all of Egypt to take care of the land during the famine. There was seven years of famine, or seven years of plenty, and during that time, Joseph was supposed to collect all the grain, and then there would be seven years of famine that they would use it. So now I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 41, starting at verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. 
So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might, come, might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came, brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you, did I tell you, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are twelve brothers. Uh, we are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. 
Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, word and your faithfulness so long ago. We thank you that it was written down and preserved for us. We pray that just as this was your word for your people back then, this would be your word for us today. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and sink this word deep into us. That it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts. Changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. Today and in days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently... Uh, I, I don't know how many of you heard this, but the gymnast Simone Biles won her eighth world championship uh, because Simone Biles is an amazing gymnast and she can do things that nobody else has ever been able to do. One of the things that's so impressive uh, about Simone Biles is that her, her stunts, her tricks are so much more difficult than anybody else's. She does things that literally nobody else can do. And because of that, even if, even if she's not completely perfect, it's just so much harder. In fact, some of her moves have been banned from competition because nobody else can do them any kind of safely. And it's just, it's dangerous for anybody else. So she's an amazing gymnast. And when we see somebody like Simone Biles running off eight world championships, and I think seven Olympic medals, and some, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. You know, she, she makes it look so effortless uh, as she's out there flipping and turning and twisting. And yet, uh, her career and her life has been anything but effortless. I mean, everybody knows that athletes uh, have to train a lot. I looked it up, I saw that Biles says that she trains six days a week, seven hours a day. Uh, and, you know, you may think, yes, you may work more than that, but, but work is different from, from training. Uh, you know, take, take your 30-minute run and multiply by 14. So, you know, she, she, we know that about athletes, right? And we know that she's been training hard from a young age. But one of the most notable things that she's overcome is that the, the Olympics, the 2020 Olympics that were actually held in 2021, she was expected to win, of course, you know, was expected to win the team gold with her leading them, as expected. And in the middle of competition, Simone Biles had to withdraw. And she pulled out of the Olympics. And the thing that was so interesting about it is it wasn't because of an injury, as most people think of injury. Injuries happen. But what happened to Biles was she got the twisties. And the twisties is this thing. I, I'm not familiar with it because I can't come anywhere close to doing anything like this but that when you start spinning through the air, you lose track of where you are. And it, it does not work. You know, you cannot, it, as, as when she said this is what happened, all the gymnasts were like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's a thing. But for a lot of other people, it's hard to understand because it seems like it's in your head. It seems like it's something that should be easy to take care of. And yet it most certainly wasn't. It took her two years to work her way back from that competition that she had to withdraw from to winning the world championships again this year. But she did work her way back. Certainly not easy, but she did. So what does, what does Simone Biles and her twisties have to do here with Joseph and his brothers? 
Because like we look at somebody like Biles spinning and twisting through the air, and it seems like it should be easy, we often feel like life should be easier than it actually is. And in particularly, we want to think that relationships and reconciliation and forgiveness should be easier than it is. Why? Because it's, it's in our head, right? It should just be a matter of saying, yes, we know we, know we hurt each other, but, but it should just be easy to forgive, easy to be reconciled. But what we see here in Genesis 42 is that reconciliation is anything but easy. What is going on here in Genesis 42? Why is this being drawn out so much? It's not to show us, it's not just to tell a long story. It's not to show us that Joseph is some kind of punk. Joseph has been through terror. He was, he was attacked by his brothers. He was sold off to slavery. He's been unjustly imprisoned multiple times. He's been forgotten. And now his brothers come before him fulfilling the very dream that they had mocked him for long ago. And yet here they are. And so it goes, this is not going to be an easy reconciliation. Why not? Why is it not going to be easy? Because that's not the nature of sin. Sin is so devastating. The effects of sin one to another are so harmful that it is no easy fix to restore. But the, message, the positive message of Genesis, if the negative message is that sin is, makes really big holes that are hard to fix, the positive message is about God, that God is absolutely committed to bringing about full restoration. God will not be satisfied with just letting things be forgotten, letting things be swept under the rug. God will not be satisfied with some meaningless expression from Joseph to his brothers say, oh, this is all fine, no problem, nothing to worry about, nothing happened. No, God is going to take them through the hard work of full restoration because God is committed to the full restoration and full reconciliation of his people. So Joseph begins this elaborate back and forth with them, and it's going to continue for several more chapters to see how this goes. But at first, he's, he's challenging them. He's testing them, saying, do you, and, and, they, and they get it right away. Like, there's no question. Of, Reuben knows it. He says it. This is, this is because of what we did to Joseph, even though they don't realize that it's Joseph there. So that tells, they know, and it tells us too, that this is really what this is all about, is bringing back the restoration and reconciliation. So what do we, where does that leave us? If we see that God is the one who's committed to this process, we can't really, you know, we can't really say here that we just, we just act like Joseph and it just doesn't work that way, like, right? None of, us, none of us are Joseph to put people through difficult things. Uh, we, don't, we don't know that much. We don't have that kind of power. But it does tell us to persevere and to persevere in repentance, to keep walking. What were his brothers supposed to do. We're really more like the brothers here than like Joseph in this story. Joseph, Joseph is controlling things. He's kind of standing in the story for God, but we're often in the situation where we have hurt others and we are seeking to persevere and walk through the confusing mess of the consequences that we have found ourselves in. And our hope in that is that God is bringing about a fuller restoration and a fuller reconciliation. We see here briefly three places 
where God is present bringing this full restoration. First, it's when we have forgotten. Second, it's when our guilt overcomes us. And third, when we can't see the ending. When we've forgotten, when our guilt overcomes us and we can't see the ending. First, we see the, the forgetting in verse 51 of chapter 40, 41, 41, 51. Joseph has children in Egypt. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh sounds like the word Hebrew for to forget. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. It's an interesting statement because on the one hand, forgetting all hardship would seem like a good thing. You know, God has brought a new blessing. And that's kind of what his second son Ephraim is. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. But it's made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. There's a sense here that Joseph, Joseph has given up. Joseph has given up. He's in Egypt. He has an Egyptian name that Pharaoh gave me as an Egyptian wife. He has children. And now he says, I'm forgetting my father's house. But not completely. Because Joseph has an Egyptian name. Joseph has an Egyptian wife. But Joseph's children have Hebrew names. Manasseh and Ephraim are Hebrew names. It's the language of his birth, the language of his family. So he, wants, he kind of wants to forget. He kind of feels like he's forgotten. He kind of feels like he's given up. But he's just clinging to this little bit of identity that he still has of the family of God that he was placed in. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that situation where we just think we want to forget? How well does it work when you try to forget something that's happened to you? When you try to forget pain? Anybody tried to forget pain? What if, what if uh, you know, it's like, it's like when, um, I, don't know if, I don't know if any of your parents ever said this to you when you stubbed a toe. Kids, I don't know if your parents may still say this to you. I think my kids have heard this. You know, you hurt your toe, your toe hurts, and you say, well, I can, I can hit the other toe with a hammer. So you forget that one toe, right? It doesn't, it doesn't actually work, right? Like it doesn't work to just forget pain. The toe still hurts no matter what you do. You can't just forget it. So what can we do? In the midst of forgetting, in the midst of pain, whatever suffering you find yourself in this morning, whatever hopeless suffering that doesn't seem like it can be reconciled, you can still cling to that little bit of hope, just as Joseph did. Still naming his children with the names of God's people. Still clinging to say, God, I, I don't understand how this is happening. I don't understand how this could ever be fixed. But I'm just going to keep walking. I'm going to keep doing the job you've given me. And I'm going to trust that somehow you might bring this about. Why is it so hard for it to come about? It's because of guilt. The guilt just won't go away. When our guilt overcomes us, we see this in uh, 42.21. When Joseph's going back and forth with his brothers and, and laying down this dictate that they cannot all just go back home to, to Canaan. They've showed up. He was ready to forget his father's house. They show up. He's like, well, in this case, I'm not going to forget things. I'm going to make sure that this does not end with them just going away. We're not just going to hand out the grain and be done with it and maybe I'll never see them again. I'm going to keep some of them here. Of course, the brothers have no idea what's going on at first. They've gone down to buy grain from Egypt. They don't think anything of this ruler. They don't make any connection of that at first. 
to Joseph, because why would they? It's the craziest thing ever that that would actually be Joseph. But what they do realize when he starts giving them a hard time is that somehow this is because of what they did. They don't realize that it's Joseph, but Reuben said it in verse 21, or they all said it to one another. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. How long have they been carrying this guilt? 20 years maybe? It's been a long time. Joseph was some, somewhere around 17. He was 17 when he first brought a bad report of his brothers to his father. The text doesn't tell us exactly how old he was when they sold him down uh, to Egypt, but it was probably about 17. He was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, and then they had seven years of good where he was adding things up. So at this time, Joseph is in his late 30s. It's been 20 years. And for 20 years, his brothers have been carrying the guilt, have been carrying the guilt of what they have done because guilt does not simply go away. Guilt sticks with us. Guilt follows us. It does not go away. What, I don't know if you've ever been on a, been on a long walk or a hike or something and you get, you get a rock in your shoe. And you think, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to kind of slide my foot around and see if it'll go to the side. Those rocks do not go away. What do those rocks do in your shoe? They hurt all the time. But you know what else? Nobody else can see them. The rock is in your shoe. Well, what's it doing down there? It's hurting you at every step. It's causing a blister that will take a long time to heal. You might be walking along trying to make it look like everything is good, Lots of people walking along making look like everything is good. But what are we carrying? We're carrying that guilt from the wrong things we have done, from the times that we said something unkind, that we failed to say something right, that we failed to do what was right, that we put ourselves in front of other people. All those harsh words, all those selfish actions, they just go with us as guilt. What did Joseph's brothers do with their guilt? Not much. Not yet. They recognized it, but they just went on. But what can we do? What can we do with our guilt? The only thing we can do with our guilt is confess it. We cannot make it right. And so the first step to being healed of that guilt, to getting that rock out of our shoes, to not feeling like the world is crashing down around us, is to confess is to say, this is the way that I have sinned, to say it to God, to say it to other people. And as we do so, to say, I'm not sure, you know, not to expect too much from them. If there are people that we have hurt, we can't expect them to just say everything's going to be fine right away. We have to persevere in repentance. But the first step of that is to admit it. And, and Joseph, they're, they're making a step here. They're acknowledging the guilt they don't really know who to say it to. It doesn't make sense actually to say it to the governor. They don't realize that's Joseph. It's going to take time. It's going to take time for this to heal. And so, but, but the first step is to admit it and to confess it and to stop trying to make up for it, but instead to put it before God and before other people. Say, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I need your forgiveness. So God brings about full restoration. We've forgotten when we're overcome by our guilt, and when we can't see the ending. Because here at the end of Genesis chapter 42, it's just, it's just stops. 
Because they go home and they're like, Dad, can we bring back Benjamin? Because, you know, your son Simeon's down there and we'd like to go get him back and we've got to take Benjamin to do that. And Jacob says, no way. I don't, I don't see how this is going to work. Jacob doesn't have any reason to trust this guy in Egypt. All he knows is that he lost one son and now another son and now they're saying a third son. He says, no way. I don't see how this is going to work out. I ain't doing it. Now, God's going to force his hand in the next chapter with more famine. But at the moment, this story ends very incomplete. What do we do? Because isn't this how the stories of our lives feel? They feel incomplete. They feel incomplete. We, 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 even if we try to do things right, even if we try to admit our sin, we don't necessarily get that forgiveness right away. We don't necessarily get that reconciliation that we wanted. Even when other people confess their sin to us, we're like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not, I'm not ready to trust. I might say I can forgive you, but I'm, I'm not feeling trust again. Or maybe that hurt was so deep, I'm really struggling even with the forgiveness. The stories feel incomplete. And the sadness of this world is that this world will always be incomplete. But the hope of the Bible as a whole is that this story is going somewhere someday. And that we may not see the ending. We may not actually see the ending and the restoration in this life. When I say that God brings about full restoration, it doesn't always happen in this life. We see pieces of it along the way. But we have hope and we have confidence that just as God, as we see this story will come to completion in Genesis, that God started the story with Jesus. And that in Jesus, he can work these things out to full restoration and reconciliation and that just as you know Simeon was offered up in a sense as a sacrifice just as Joseph went in a sense as a sacrifice to Egypt for the blessing of many so Jesus went through suffering to bring about reconciliation and healing for many we can't see the end of it but we can have hope along the way because we have the guarantee of Jesus in his death and resurrection that he has sealed the deal in the end and so we can experience little bits of blessing along the way because the great thing, the, there's parts of this that are kind of, that the brothers are feeling a lot of distress here. It matches the distress we feel in our lives because of sin. But don't miss the blessing throughout. Don't miss throughout this as they experience the consequences of their sin, the painful consequences for God to bring about full reconciliation, that he is blessing them along the way. He provided them with provisions for the journey. He gave them the grain. He sent most of them home. He just kept Simeon. He gave them their money back. Right? That scared them. It terrified them, understandably, because like, what's happening? But it's also a blessing. We'll see a few chapters down when they come back. They actually end up coming back to Egypt, bringing the money back and saying like, hey, you didn't take the money. And Joseph's like, oh, no, we got it. You're good. That was God's gift to you. It's God's blessing as he walks them through this promise. So as we persevere through this world, as we persevere in seeking, uh, in seeking repentance, in seeking forgiveness, in seeking reconciliation, as we look forward to the future glory that God has promised, he gives us these blessings along the way. And we're experiencing the pieces of reconciliation, the pieces of healing amongst God's people. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us and that you care for us. We pray that you would help us to walk in this truth, that you would help us to walk in repentance, 
to confess our sin to you, to confess our sin to others. Pray that you would give us hope that however hopeless situations may seem here on earth, that you are bringing about full restoration one day and that you will give us tastes of that blessing as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.